Full Contact Cannabis. This is Harold Jarbo, a.k.a. The Old Hemp Farmer. I'm with Mark Stepp of Uppercut Media, and I'm with Larissa. You want Larissa? You want to, you've got a bunch of titles there <laughs> and a lot of things you do. So you want to do your full name and all the things you're doing right now? Uh, yes, sir. Thank you. So my name is Larissa Bolivar. I am CEO of Bolivar Hemp Company. We are a topical skincare line. I also am CEO of Bolivar Holdings Company. So we have multiple companies within that umbrella. We have Higher Power Flowers. We have a farm in Oklahoma where we have a THC farm that we par we partnered up with a company called High Top Harvest. And we're helping them grow kind of like a um, bar rescue, but more like weed rescue. So that's interesting. And so I'm building Boulevard Hemp while uh, helping uh, the THC side of things. And then I also run the Cannabis Consumers Coalition, which is a cannabis consumer oriented nonprofit where we work to build consumer trust within the cannabis industry while opening the market for true free market competition so that we can really enjoy the full benefits of the economic and um, just everything that cannabis and hemp as, and, and marijuana have to offer. See, that's why I did not want to introduce you right there. <laughs> I could Thanks. have never gotten through all that. And if you didn't know it, folks, you stumbled into full contact cannabis and we're sponsored <laughs> by Tennessee Homegrown. We've got Larissa that. on who has done a bunch of things. Are You're now presently in Oklahoma? Yes, sir, I am. I'm not sure how much you want to go into the Colorado side, but we're infinitely interested in the in the Oklahoma side of your cannabis experience right now. Oh, I I'm happy to share. It's been quite the reality show. <laughs> well, I have this thing. Uh, I don't know how much you know about Tennessee because where I, so I'm located there, steps in L.A. I'm from Virginia. I was born in Washington, D.C., and then I grew up in Arlington and in Falls Church, Virginia. So I'm very familiar with Tennessee right, and this. The yes. So the reason why I mention it, Tennessee is the CBD mm -hmm. version of Oklahoma. In 2019, we had over 4,000 people grow, and it's wide open oh, here, no license on processing. And so it is a wild, wild west, which is what got us in, interested in Oklahoma because it kind of sounds like the state of Oklahoma and the state of Tennessee said, okay, you guys, we're not going to pick winners and losers. We're just going to let you go at it. I mean, isn't that how business should be? Uh, I see it the same way. I mean, and I think that that just speaks volumes to the spirit of who we are as people in terms of you know, you're talking to a high agricultural community, you're talking to a community that's been self-sufficient for a very long time. And then you're talking to a community, a strong Republican community, not to be too political, but, you know, a conservative community who believe in business and who believe in free market competition. And, you know, I myself support free market. I, as a, as a cannabis consumer, I like variety. You know, it, for me, it's not even a political issue so much as a consumer issue where, when you, when you monopolize an industry, you end up with really crappy products, crappy service. You can't complain. I mean, I literally just spent $6,000 to get a pods moved here from Colorado that I have to fix. Like, thank God I had that kind of money. Can you imagine what it would have been like if I didn't? And that's because they're like one of like 
how many of the same kind of company and they these these industries quickly monopolize the space and that's because you have this culture lately of um, industry really monopolizing policy and you really see it in cannabis and hemp because it's a new industry and so it, it really results in subpar products and service no matter what industry you're in and so we're already racing to the bottom and Colorado is a great example I don't smoke any licensed weed in Colorado you can't give it to me I literally have boxes of the crap I had to throw it away before I moved to Oklahoma because I didn't want to get arrested by bringing marijuana here before I got my medical marijuana license but that's how crappy it is. There is reciprocity here, though, if you do have. That's the other thing about Oklahoma, which is great. If you have a license, medical marijuana license, another state, you can move here and they will give you reciprocity. But anyhow, you know, so, yeah, in Oklahoma, is it saturated? And uh, is there a lot of crap products? Sure. But is there a lot of good products? Yes, because you don't have all of the hurdles. You know, in Colorado, you've got some of the largest brands that emerge out of Colorado aren't even owned by cannabis consumers. They don't have the appreciation for the plant. You know, our, our CEO and head grower of Higher Power Flowers is trusted by all of the top growers in the industry, period. He creates strains himself. He has a cannabis felony. So here he is, a 30-year veteran who's created strains, can't even own a business in Colorado. Even after the 10-year mark, he still had problems trying to get a license. So when you have centrally controlled markets, you have people who are really, you know, creating these artificial roadblocks for market entry and only people who can pay to play enter and they are not the best. They just have a lot of money. And so then now you have a lot of corruption. And would you believe the FBI is now investigating corruption? And the last people we needed in our space was them. <laughs> so the Consumer uh. Coalition, which I'm working on rebuilding our membership base, but our website is cannabisconsumer.org uh, or mjconsumer.org. But you know, it, just just for some background, but I've been working in Missouri. We have a lobbyist there because we've been really working on the monopolization of the industry because where I see that, you know, I just see a lot of corruption. I see a lot of central control and I see a lot of crap products where I see places like Tennessee and Oklahoma have a better opportunity to race to the top. And cannabis consumers are super picky. Once It's just like fine wine. Or good wine. I mean, there's some good wine that's cheap, but you know, when you find it, you tell everybody, right? Well, yeah. when you find crap weed, what do you do? You tell everybody. <laughs> so. <laughs> so how long ago did you start uh, eyeing Oklahoma and wanting to get out of Colorado? So for a very long time, I actually left Colorado in 2008. I had one of the first medical marijuana centers pre-regulations. And then when I moved back to Colorado in 2013, I moved back to Virginia because I went through a divorce. My ex-husband actually moved to Colorado in the late 90s and was growing there. And we were we became part of the team that actually uh, legalized Amendment 20. Ken Gorman passed Amendment. He helped get Amendment 20, the signatures necessary to get it passed. We helped implement it. And then um, that's when uh, big business came in and put in the regulations and shut many people out. And I saw that happening in when I was back in Virginia. And I decided to come back to Colorado in 2013. And, you know, I, I honestly have never been happy there. I went and got my master's in public policy at Regis University, which is a Jesuit university. It's a private school. Um, my concentration was cannabis policy reform. I graduated in 2015. I wrote my master's thesis in during racial disparity after cannabis legalization. I even hired and paid a lobbyist in, uh, in 2020 to pass, uh, to write 
House Bill 1424, Social Equity and Regulated Cannabis Business, and I had the industry literally jump on it, add like two or three words, somehow steal my bill that I just paid thousands of dollars for, and then not let me work on um, implementing it. They created this, you know, VS Strategies and Governor Polis, CIS office, and other of his cannabis appointees, ENC, Wanda James, they created a subcommittee of a subcommittee to implement a bill that I paid someone to work on. So at that point, I was so checked out of Colorado and I was so done with what they're calling responsible regulation because all I see is a monopolization of the industry forming. And I saw that happening in um, Missouri. I was teaching compliance there before the regulation and the licensing rolled out and I saw that it was going to be corrupt. I work, I was on a call before this uh, podcast with Los Angeles where we're trying, uh, the county, which we're trying to figure out their cannabis rules still is 2021. So, you know, I'm just done with the over-regulation and just like a handful of cartel. They call they call other people cartel, but these people that are trying to monopolize the industry are trying to, trying to create cartels. And the nuances actually come out of Colorado and Colorado with their safer campaign. Legal, regulate like alcohol. We got to be careful with this language policy-wise. And this is why I got my master's in policy because I hate politics. I hate politics. I'm a policy nerd and I like to create good policy and look out for the greatest good for the greatest number of people. That's not what's happening in cannabis. The reason why they're saying alcohol is because alcohol is one of the few industries that was allowed to be a state-run monopoly. So they are trying to monopolize the industry and they formed the United States Cannabis Council, which is basically all of the multi-state operators who are now at the federal level trying to utilize all of those relationships and all the money that they put into cannabis so that they can protect these artificially inflated licenses from these states with these lotteries, unlike Tennessee in Oklahoma, which you'll never hear them talk good about Oklahoma. They always talk crap about Oklahoma and that we're crazy and that we're just all drug dealers and that we're all wild west and out of our minds and racist and crazy is two thirds Indian. How can we hate each other? You know what I mean? Like, seriously, the other day I was at Cracker Barrel and there was a cowboy with his best black friend and another guy who was a jock. Like, that's Oklahoma for you. But you don't hear anything good about Oklahoma, nor do you hear about how good the good weed actually is because of how bad the corruption has become. And it all comes out of Colorado. And I just hate to say it, but I am the one that's calling it out. I have a book called Normal is a Setting that's being it's done. I'm editing it now. I hired a ghostwriter, Steve Eggleston. He's called the Eggman, a nickname given to him by Ringo Starr. Um, I have friends. I'm from, you know, Northern Virginia. I have a lot of friends in high places. I grew up with them and they recommended that I get a book written because the story is so crazy out of Colorado. Can and I say something? Uh huh. Nice plug. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> is that the reason you left Colorado? Yeah, that, that I had it. I felt so discriminated against and the kleptocracy is so bad. And I have masters of public policy. I, none of the people that I'm working with do. And the thing is, you would think that my background would be a shoe in and I'm not arrogant and egotistical. I just know I'm good at what I do. And I've been in this at 20 years and I see what I see and I'm a visionary and I know that we, we can do better. And I was so discriminated against in Colorado, raw discrimination. I mean, Governor Polis, a Democrat who, while signing the bill that I paid to get written, nobody else paid, I paid to get written, never once mentioned Native Americans and I'm a Native American Latina. I was the first Native American business owner. 
there. And that matters to me. Why? Because you never hear about Native Americans. We're not even on the Forbes list, billionaires list. Our, the no. person that does our SEO? Uh-huh. Uh, Ava Avila, Native uh -huh. American. Awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So I'm sorry, go back. So I'm very passionate in case you can't tell. <laughs> so it's just, we have a lot more work to do. So step he is in LA and step can't, you know, talk to her, uh, you know, the frustrations of how the scene is there and why that, you know, Oklahoma and stuff does seem interesting. When legalization happened in California, for those of us that had a medical card, the, the quickest thing was the price went through the roof because of new taxes put on by state, city, local, but also the quality went way, way down because either as new cultivation started or current cultivators were trying to get compliant, it really affected the quality of the product um, and still does. That's just the broad nail that hit California when it all started. So I don't know if that's similar to what happened in Colorado and what could happen in Oklahoma or not. Absolutely, it's what happened in Colorado. The incentive is to generate as much profit as possible. So you have people rushing cannabis to market and it's a plant that really you shouldn't rush. If you you know, pack it in in a room with subpar conditions, then you're, you're creating an environment for pests and then you're creating another environment, which then you have to mitigate by fire and using harsh chemicals and pesticides. And then they're certainly not flushing long enough and they're not curing long enough. We cure for at least two weeks, if not longer. I have cannabis sitting in jars for six months of some of my favorite strains. I consider myself a connoisseur. So when I go to a licensed market that, you know, has been tested, but there's no faith in the testing because consumers can't access testing. We can't go and get something. We can't double check. And that's another reason why I founded the Consumer Coalition because I'm trying to push to open up testing too. But we can't even police our own. And, you know, it is a race to the bottom. And it will happen to Oklahoma if it gets overregulated. I understand trying to curb the proliferation here. And we do have an issue with illegal immigrants um, opening businesses. And then, you know, it was hard, it was hard for me to get finance for a house because I'm in cannabis. I, we had to pay, um, cash for a house. I mean, you know, thankfully Oklahoma has a, a cheap housing market and our house was, hasn't been upgraded since like 1974. So can I ask a quick question for those folks out there who don't know, uh, when did, uh, medical marijuana get legalized in Oklahoma? And why is the law so damn cool? So Oklahoma was the only state that was legalized by activists. I have to, I don't remember the date, the actual year, but it's what makes Oklahoma unique is that as opposed to the bill being promoted and run by the Marijuana Policy Project and the Drug Policy Alliance, and even the head guys at, at Normal, this was a true grassroots movement where they said, no, we are not going to have it this way. We're going to pass a bill that's going to be more open, follows what grassroots activists want and not what these big, heavily funded drug policy groups want. And that's why you don't hear the media and other groups in cannabis really promoting Oklahoma because the, there's an incentive 
to promote these other states because of the revenue model that's being driven behind it, not just in taxes with the sales, the additional sales taxes, which can be done anywhere, and the additional excise taxes, but in the licensing fees themselves. And so you become what, what what's supposed to be a regulatory agency instead becomes a, a regulatory capture. Well put. And we don't have that here in Oklahoma. Yeah, and then, that's, but, and that's so really that's why you have this battle to have uh-huh. And so that's why you have this battle against even using um a seat metric because metric that's that's for if that's for cannabis being federally illegal. We should look ahead to cannabis being federally legal. Any good farmer, any good producer, any good manufacturer is gonna use good agricultural practices, good manufacturing practices. You want to, that's actually how you set yourself apart. And nobody wants to be caught red-handed when any type of inspector comes and you're not operating that way or, so, or a secret shopper. I mean, and that's another reason why the Consumer Coalition exists is so that way we can empower consumers to be that policing force so that we don't have to have 500 pages of regulations. I it's just, it's ridiculous. And all of those regulations come with an enforcement dollar sign. And so instead of being responsible or sensible, it's actually uh, oppressive and expensive. And it makes only a handful of people money. Oh. And absolutely those businesses via trade groups that were created by and, you know, like NCIA, for example, that were created by MPP, Steve Fox, um, the late Steve Fox, are, you know, creating the drive for this type of le revenue generation legalization because it's their friends and cronies that benefit from the regulatory capture. So now you have this really cool environment. I did a little research. It seems that if I read the stats right, you have over 6,000 producers in Oklahoma. And you have about <laughs> 3,000 retail. One of the things that we found in Tennessee, Tennessee, the CBD, the high water mark was in 2019, as far as the amount that was grown, the amount of, pe amount of people growing. We've had, uh, what do you want to call it? Darwinian business, capitalism uh, at its finest, but it has thinned the herd here in Tennessee uh, a, a bunch. How, how is that working out with all the mass amount of people growing in Oklahoma? Um, I believe that we, ha I mean, we haven't gotten there yet. I think that we're heading there for sure. Um, I, you know, I moved here explicitly to, to, sorry, I have a puppy who needs to go outside. So I'm going to carry the computer with me, but I moved here <laughs> explicitly once I get, you know, our transition, you know, we just moved here uh, what, in May, uh, April, my significant other moved here ahead of me in April and I moved here. No, it was still April when I got here, late April. But I moved here and I moved the Consumer Coalition headquarters here because I find this to be the best environment and best legalization model. And I moved here with the express intent to help guide that communication and to help tell that story. And, and, I, and I think that that comes from a marketing story and so once we start empowering these other businesses and setting that bar high and saying oh this girl grows using this method this girl does this they do this and start really creating that competitive you know nurturing that competitive nature that we all inherently have then you're going to start seeing that happen and there's more and more professional growers that are coming into the state like like how we did now my my partner Miley who's a guy and he's the first Miley 
he is um he's from Oklahoma. He's actually tribal Cherokee born on tribal land. And so and Leech, Oklahoma is actually named after his family. His dad, his great, great, great granddad was like postman or something. And so for him, it's just returning home. And there's farmers here who got into cannabis who, you know, maybe had failed farms or just started other businesses or wanted to get or wanted to just change their family business into cannabis who appreciate having the knowledge base that are coming here. And so now, you know, Miley is so busy working, helping to level that bar up. And so I do think that eventually it will be like that. I mean, we do help with the dispensaries that are attached to the grow that we're helping and we help them source cannabis and, you know, to look at it and, and approve it. And, you know, we'll laugh at people and say, you call, you know, you call this cannabis, you really want $2,000 a pound for this. You're kidding me, right? We'll give you 500. And they, they're, they're one, one or two things happens. They're so offended that they just can't even believe that, that anybody even said this, or they want to learn how to do better. It's just human nature. We should let human nature be human nature. Wasn't that the whole point of, you know, America not having people tell us how to do things their way, you know, yeah. cannabis, every grower is unique. I, I work in compliance. Well, now, now what I was going to go into this phenomenon here, because like I said, there are this correlation. Uh, flour in, at Tennessee Homegrown, we never set out to do flour. And then like in 2018, like the interpretation law, and all of a sudden there was a demand for flour when we really weren't growing, growing for it. So at first there was a huge amount of flour that was put on the market because of demand. And quite uh -huh. frankly, if we tried to sell what we tried to sell in 2018, people would laugh us out of the shop. How and the reason why the reason I'm bringing this up is part of the reason I think that there's been a bunch of Darwinian business here in Tennessee is that here in Tennessee the consumer got real intelligent about what they liked and what they didn't like real quick. Yes. Is that the same in Oklahoma? Absolutely, it is. Yeah, and that's what I I mean that's what I was leading to is have to drive that conversation though. Consumers need to be educated on what to look for. And that's happening. You have events, you have competitions, you know, there's, uh, it's all about, you know, education and well, it's happening here. It's just, well, it, it's literally what you say. I love the way Darwinian business. It's literally that it's just letting the consumer make the decision. You know, they know the difference, you know, when they, you know, when they see and taste the difference between hay and well-cured cannabis, and then you go back to hay, you just don't go back to hay. It's just like you said, people would laugh at 2018. And, you know, also, I, think I mean, I don't think it, it you know, 2018 is when it passed, but I don't think Oklahoma is even starting to really see what good cannabis is until well, no, that's probably what I'm like is. the last two years. If that, like I, I've met a handful of people and, and that's just coming here and visiting, but I haven't tried a lot of good product. Someone handed me a hash that smelled like a lighter, that smelled like lighter fluid. No matter where you go, this is a phenomenon I've observed in cannabis. The person growing it or the person who extracted it thinks it's the best stuff ever made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one of the things that, that was, <laughs> but one of the things I also think has happened in the last couple of years and want to get your thoughts on that as more and more states go on and do rec, there's more and more people who have relatives in rec states. I think a huge amount of top quality products now 
are being shipped to friends and relatives in these places. And so people, their taste and stuff and what they've been exposed to really has gone up. Whereas five years ago, you know, whatever you were, if you were in a, a non-rec state, you got a black market. And now if you got a cousin, Fred in Washington, he can go buy four or five live resin carts, put it in the mail and send it to you. So I, think I mean, that, yeah, I mean, there's that. And then you can go to Vegas. But, you what know, I'm, yeah, but can, that's yeah. what, I, what I'm saying is one of the things that we're going through here, one of the products that we're working on at Tennessee Homegrown is live resin real live resin and it's a price uh-huh. it's a pricey little thing here and so far we just haven't had the receptivity and it's all because people here don't get good live resin and haven't really been exposed to it how sophisticated is the market in Oklahoma when it comes to you know like really high grade rosin live resin and some of these more sophisticated higher end products Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, it's becoming much more sophisticated. We were invited apothecary extracts at a grand opening here in Tulsa. And they're a, a really one of my favorite brands that are coming out of Colorado that's expanded here. So absolutely, the quality is getting much better. I mean, that, and that's what I just, you know, had mentioned that I, I laughed. I couldn't even believe like people know now, you know, bad quality. Someone handed me that um, a concentrate. It was wax, like sugar wax. It literally smelled like lighter fluid I mean it was just disgusting and but they're starting to know that you know the difference whereas I would say a year ago buyers for dispensaries wouldn't even know the difference because a lot of these buyers like the people that work at dispensaries aren't necessarily consumers you know just more consumers being aware and wanting good products it is getting better I love it here does flour still dominate the market what is okay what is the Oklahoma market um you know, I would say flour still dominates, but concentrates are um, really, I don't know the percentage breakdown, but those are uh, really high in demand and edibles. Like we can't keep edibles. We And we just got our processing license. So we're going to be processing THC license too. But the dispensaries that we sell flour to um, have a hard time keeping edibles on the shelves, which is interesting to me. Another thing which I want to talk to you about, especially since you're in a med state that's so close to wreck, it isn't even funny, D8. (laughs) (laughs) What are your thoughts on D8? My overarching thoughts are just decriminalize cannabis, period. I mean, that's just my overarching thought. Because it it really is where you're at. Uh, Tennessee has embraced D8 with a vengeance. In fact, enough uh-huh. that where we had at Tennessee Homegrown had had to develop our protocols and learn how to make it. A year and a half ago, it was none of our sales. Right now, it might be 40% of all our sales right now are D8. And then the- huh. I don't know. I would have to ask the dispensary if we're even selling D8 because we I grow flour here. We grow flour and we just got our processing license. So we're not- The reason I ask that is- what you know i had a lot of the, my i work with a couple uh, people that are you know recreational one in colorado washington when d8 first happened they thought it was a fad did not think it had any legs and the only reason that it was being you know had any following in tennessee is because like i said it's a you know doesn't have anything but we started selling d8 into rec st- states 
uh, online. And we found there's a boatload of people who, who come from a D9 background and actually prefer D8. Well, yeah, a lot of that's because it doesn't have that same anxiety paranoia effect. It's more of a sedative effect. I know a lot of people who really prefer D8. I thought you meant like legislatively, but you know. What, 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 all right, so consumer what demand. The, well, what, what, all right, you know, so can you buy, D, is D8 legal in Oklahoma? I don't even know. I would have to, I'm embarrassed to even say, but I wasn't even, so when I, so my product, Boulevard Hemp Company, we're not, we're not just CBD. We're not, like I literally use full spectrum and that's how I market us. So I don't even follow that market. And then we, we grow flour and then we sell it to people who concentrate it. And so we're just now processing. And I personally don't consume D8. So I haven't even been really like following okay. that market. And I'm not a broker. So I'm not like, oh my God, I have D8. You know what I mean? So I apologize for not knowing no, everything no. about I, D8 well, the, here. <laughs> that's why we wanted your perspective because we do yeah. see, for one thing, uh, a bunch of the rec and med states now have made D8 illegal unless you put yes. it through the system. Uh, exactly. And so it's been really interesting to see who and where you are about how you feel about D8. You know, basically, we're the only THC here in our, our you know, THC desert. But the one thing we did find out, it for because there was no alternative, they kind of tried D8 where I think they probably never would have tried it. Yeah, and it looks like here in Oklahoma, they just passed a law for that excludes Delta 8 and Delta 10 THC. So does that mean it's yeah. legal or illegal? So changing the legal definition of marijuana removes just about any possibility of the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority, OMA, regulating the production, sale, distribution, or use of D8 and D10. So it sounds like that the, they don't, it's hemp. Good. It's a, see, I love, I'm starting to feel more warm and fuzzy about Oklahoma all the time because then yeah. that means our i mean like and i think illegal. probably that yeah yeah you know i mean like that's awesome actually like and and this just this speaks to what i started talking to about the ridiculousness about getting granular on cannabinoids in terms of is it legal is it not we should make this illegal and this not there's over 130 cannabinoids are we really gonna do this people <laughs> like, really? really one at a time yeah. <laughs> I don't have 130 years in this lifetime. It's yeah. going to take 130 years. It'll take a year of cannabinoid. So let's just take cannabis off the CSA altogether and just bypass all the BS. <laughs> so right now you've moved to Oklahoma. You seem really happy. Uh, all right. Since you already plugged your book, how is your book written? Yes. <laughs> It is being edited and the editing process has been very, you know, full of catharsis because it <laughs> brings back a lot of early years of cannabis. <laughs> editing and <laughs> step, besides being a post producer and all that stuff, he edits high end television shows. He just got back from Truth or Consequence, New Mexico, where he just did the little rocket launch that dear old uh, Sir Richard Branson did. And then he also does That's the rocket so launch cool. for Elon Musk, although he has not gotten a car yet. <laughs> I, I mean, that would be nice. But hey, just to tie this in, um, there were several people in our crew who went to a dispensary in New Mexico 
and they were able to get D8 for the first time. And did they like? Yeah, most of them. Like it? Yeah, they did like it. Yeah. So I didn't, I haven't tried it because people say it makes them real kind of sleepy. I routinely use the Tennessee homegrown version of D8 and I do use it specifically to aid sleep. I use it to help my sleep. Your friends or contacts that do say it makes them sleepy, I will agree with that. You know, I, that's good. That's actually really good because it's better than taking those um, other drugs. Yeah, like drinking, like like drinking NyQuil. Drinking alcohol every night. (laughs) Yeah, or NyQuil. Yep. You're in Oklahoma. What are you trying to prioritize while you're in Oklahoma? Like, what are your, the biggest part of you? Cause I know you do all these things. You have a book, you, you do policy, you do this. So, but right now in Oklahoma, what's your priority? You know, getting Bolivar hemp operations up and running. I don't have to far, you know, produce hemp yet because we, um, we were already working on a farm in Wisconsin and I'm sitting on kilos and kilos of food. So I'm not, I don't have any urgency. I know, right? I don't have much urgency for that. Like we harvested like 250 pounds or 250, excuse me, 250 acres of hemp. Yeah. My, Miley built one of the largest processing uh, facilities in the country. So he grew it and harvested it and processed it. And so we actually are, we teamed up to do the THC farm. So while I, while, while I build out the lab here for Boulevard Hemp, I have a skincare line that I, you know, I have a face topical line that I'm actually launching in the middle of launching. I created a serum um, that I'm getting ready to launch. And so it's just the transition here has been a lot, you know, just moving both the family and the businesses. But, um, you know, we're just, that's my priority is getting Boulevard Hemp on our next growth phase. I'm actually raising capital. I have interest from venture capitalists, but I'm in, I'm in a really good sweet spot. I work for a company called Grinny where the founder um, is, uh, in a, you know, he raised like $250 million for his company and, uh, he's actually has a $2 billion valuation and, um, he's going to help me with a friends and family raise. So I don't feel like the urgency to take on venture capital money, um, which is advantageous. It puts me in the position of power where I don't have to take the first thing that comes to me, which can harm a lot of entrepreneurs. And I'm not here to build my company for someone else to take. It's named after my family name for a reason. I want it to be a legacy brand. And so that's my priorities is getting Boulevard Hemp um, up and running smoothly here and, and scaling to meet the ever increasing demand that we're getting. Even while I pause operations and, and even advertising, I still have customers, which is good. And then of course, getting this book done, which is really my number one priority because it's something, you know, that, that needs to be done. And Colorado, there's so much opportunity still left in cannabis. And I feel like this book will help uh, shed light on the, on the different opportunities that we have using uh, Oklahoma as a model, you know, Tennessee, any type of free market, you know, I'm just kind of putting my two cents in the book based on my 20 years and, you know, my, my work in policy and in business on what directions I think would be good for the industry. Um, and then, you know, my own personal story, which, you know, as most entrepreneurs have success and failures and success again. And, you know, I rebuilt my little empire here off of $500 after I dissolved my dispensary. I didn't sell it for millions. I dissolved it. And so, you know, it's, it's also kind of, you know, just shows people a pathway to ownership and success in cannabis as well. Yeah. I can't wait to read that book. 
Thank you so much. I, I can't I, wait for it. I have one more, <laughs> one more thing to ask you about, Larissa, was especially since you are in the CBD sector, was how did so many people get it wrong and overproduce like they did? Oh, gosh. Like, if you could just see my eye roll. Well, you know, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> I think I actually lost my eyeballs in the back of my head. Let me find them. Hang on. <laughs> so I, it's just people following the hype. I mean, you know, I, again, I'm old school. I learned, you know, from, you know, Dr., you know, the works of Dr. Mosham and, and Dr. Bob Melamed and others who were identifying the, cannab the endocannabinoid system, the various cannabinoids. And I, I knew in the early 2000s when I became a caregiver and a cultivator myself that cannabinoids as a whole would be very beneficial. Um, and so, you know, I think on the one hand, it's good that it got a lot of education out. But on the other hand, it shows the desperation and the hype of social media. I mean, I'm so glad. I'm so glad the CBD broker days are over. I'm not going to lie. Like that was getting really annoying. Like on the plot on the, the like the silver lining of having all of this is that we, we do have general market interest in all of the cannabinoids now so yeah we're sitting everybody's sitting on a lot of product and yeah there was a lot of hype but you know we can we can recreate that and it's my understanding that that can be reprocessed into d8 a lot of the cbd that's well, we, just sitting around well, we make uh, at tennessee homegrown that's what we do we went out uh-huh Dr. Rafael Meshelam, we got his paper on how to convert CBD into D8, which, you know, it's open source. So anybody can do this research uh -huh. and spend a little bit of money. And yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for us converting our CBD into D8, we'd probably, yeah, it, we'd be hurt. But it's, you know, it's like I told you in Tennessee, it's the damnedest thing I've ever seen. Totally consumer driven, too. Well, y'all, y'all are whiskey people, right? <laughs> there have been known to you... still or two in, in... <laughs> yes, probably. <laughs> so uh, I, I would think that, you know, that whole connoisseur, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, and, and then there's Nashville. So there's connoisseurs of music and connoisseurs of good booze. So I imagine people would be connoisseurs of good weed. We think that there's over a. <laughs> A half a million dollars worth of D8 sold a month or more just in Nashville. Wow. Yeah, wow. it's a thing. Well, I, yeah, I know it's a big market. You know, Miley is all about it. Yeah. Well, all right. He has D8. He loves so, it. He loves, he loves it. So, so we're going to wind this up uh, once again. Um, cannot thank you enough. We're with Larissa Boulevard, who is a pioneer uh, in early days of Colorado Rec, now in the early days of Oklahoma Med, also has got her fingers in CBD policy and all these things. Cannot thank you enough for coming in. How do people get a hold of you, Larissa? Um, I, I can be found at Larissa Boulevard on LinkedIn, at Larissa Boulevard, Instagram, at Larissa Boulevard on Twitter and Facebook, and then, um, cannabis, uh, or mjconsumer.org. That's easy to remember. mjconsumer.org. That's all my, my think tank nerd policy work. And then, um, boulevardhemp.com for topical hemp products, CBD okay. hemp products.
Well, I cannot thank you, Larissa, enough for coming on. Hopefully, I'm not going to, yeah, I will pin you down. You got to come back on this thing, aren't you? Yes, I would love to be back on. And you know what? I am, we're planning a road trip through Tennessee, through Virginia. Um, we have a client in New York, upstate New York. So I want to let you know when we're going to be rolling through there. And I would love to meet up. All right. Well, this is Harold Jarbo, AKA the old hemp farmer on the Tennessee homegrown sponsored podcast, Full Contact. And I cannot thank you guys enough for tuning in. And as always, keep one eye on the market and the other eye on the weather. Full Contact Cannabis is a Tennessee homegrown and uppercut media production. You can find Tennessee Homegrown on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Visit our website, tnhomegrown.com, for more background and information covered in our podcast. Full Contact Cannabis is created by Jarbo, the old hemp farmer. Post-production services provided by Uppercut Media and can be reached at uppercutmedia.com. Uppercut.